Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Today, Renus will be continuing our sermon series titled Colossians, the Image, and will be speaking on Colossians 2, verses 6 through 23. In this sermon, Renus looks at how Paul warns the Colossians and us to be on guard against deceptive philosophies that stand in opposition to Jesus, the fullness of God in bodily form. How do we discern truth from error? In a time when all truth claims are contested, can we even know the truth? And what does that mean? Let's take a moment then not just to situate ourselves. This is kind of where we find ourselves just in day-to-day life in 2024. Let's take a moment to situate ourselves in the book of Colossians. Because one of what happens as we preach through a series like or a letter like the Colossian letter is that Paul, the writer, is building an argument. And if you don't remember what was spoken last week or perhaps you weren't here last week and you've missed a little piece, then it's hard to follow the flow. So And it actually is going to matter in this next little moment. So take a look here. This is the flow of where Paul has gone so far in the letter. He is beginning, he begins with a prayer for the Colossian church, but then he goes into this beautiful poem about who Jesus is. And he outlines that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is, is supreme. It's this wonderful poem that picks up a lot of language that in Paul's day was actually attributed to Caesar. And he's saying Jesus is the image of God, not Caesar. Jesus is supreme, not Caesar. And he's just sort of laying out this reality for the Colossian church. He builds on that in his next little part of the argument where he says this Jesus who is the image of God lives in you as Christians, as the church. Uh, This was what uh, Caleb spoke about last week. Let me just read to you verse 27, uh, well, 26 and 27 of chapter 1. The mystery that has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, y'all, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this Jesus, who is God's image, the fullness of of who God is, lives within us. And then he gets to the text we'll look at today, and he says, now continue to live your lives in him. Now, it's important you catch the flow here, okay? It's really important, because otherwise you'll hear today's sermon as a bunch of stuff you have to do. Um, to please God. And that's not Paul's argument here. Paul is saying, this is the reality. Jesus is the image of God. This Jesus lives in you. Now, based on that reality, live this way. Okay? That's very different than saying, do a bunch of stuff. He's saying, here's the reality. Live in response to reality. So, some weeks ago, whatever it was, six days ago, eight days ago, It's a little foggy. Uh, It was like minus gazillion here, right? Like minus 35 or whatever. Okay, that was the reality. The response to that reality is you bundle up before you go outside, the sensible ones of you. Some of you, not so much. Uh, But 
right? Reality, action. That's the flow of Paul's thoughts here. There's a reality. This is who Jesus is. This is where Jesus lives. Now live, here's the action. Live out of that reality. If you want the, um, the grammar terms, the indicative comes before the imperative. These I learned are moods. They're grammar moods. Who knew that grammar had a mood? It does. The indicative literally means it is the mood of reality. And Paul has started his letter with that, the indicative. This is what is. And now he's moving into some imperatives. This is what we do as a result of what is. So do you catch that flow? It's important. All right. I'm going to assume by your vigorous nodding you're with me. All right. Second thing, just kind of locate ourselves in this. If you can get the next slide, please, Sean. Um, I'm not expecting to read the text, okay? Don't worry about that. That's just there for artsy purposes. Um, But that's the text we will read in a moment. Murray will come up and read it. But I just want you to see how it's structured. Paul's going to give an instruction, and he's going to give a warning. Then he's going to build on the instruction. Then he's going to build on the warning. Okay? You just need to see that that's kind of what's going on. And uh, we have lots of conversations about this, those who preach here uh, predominantly. Preaching is limited in its form. I've got 25 minutes or so uh, to walk you through this. I can't possibly say everything about everything about this text. So I'm going to stick to the first parts of this, the instruction and the warning, but know that he expands the instruction. I'll draw from it a bit. And he's going to expand the warning, and I'll draw a bit from it as well. But there's lots in those two bigger parts that we won't touch on. That's just the limits. You don't want to be here for three hours, probably. I'm guessing. The candle went out. Does that mean anything? <laughs> it doesn't, okay? It really doesn't. <laughs> wow. It's <laughs> awesome. All right, uh, we have so much more freedom because we're not live streaming today. We can say stuff. Anyway, it's all good. Um, all right, so do you see how this text is structured? When Murray, come on up. Why don't you read this section to us? It's Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in at verse 6, and we're going to read to the rest, or the rest of the chapter, actually. So if you have a Bible in some form, digitally or paper, better, um, feel free to look it up. Colossians chapter 2. You can follow along. Uh, But try and catch this structure. Go ahead, Murray. From the uh, New Living Translation, I I just like the way it sounds out loud. And I was going to do a bit of an introduction, but Renus beat me to it. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 23. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but but not by a physical procedure. 
Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are shadows are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Thanks, Murray. All right, lots going on there. Let's, let's zero in on a few things, kind of work our way through this. Again, I'm focusing primarily on the opening instruction, opening warning, but I'll draw from the body a little bit as well. So the opening instruction... So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now again, notice that Paul's continuing, so that, that little blue slide with the, his flow of thought, that continues right here. He's showing you the reality. You've received Christ Jesus as Lord. Christ is Lord. That's the indicative, that's the reality, and based on that, you've received that, based on that reality, this is how you then live. Continue to live your lives in Him. That's the instruction, that's the primary instruction actually, is to continue to live your lives in Him. He, he expands it a little bit in the expanded instruction where he focuses a little bit more on who Jesus is. And drawing from that, he says, In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, all the fullness of deity, of who God is, lives in bodily form. Christ, Christ is the head over every power and authority. And this statement is a phenomenal statement. Um, Christ, let me just read it in its, in its full form. Verse 15, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the reality he's laying out. And he said, this is the Jesus you've received. 
Now continue to live your lives in Him. Right? So the indicative is now followed by some imperatives. And he's imagining that continuing to live your life in Jesus actually looks like something. It translates into actions. And he lays out in this verse four actions. I've numbered them there for you. Rooted, built up, strengthened, and overflowing in thankfulness. Those are four related clauses. This is how you continue to live your lives in Jesus. You're rooted and built up, two things, strengthened and overflowing in thankfulness. Now, the first three, obviously, are related. Uh, Rooted is a natural image, right? You think of a tree and its roots. Uh, Built up is a construction image where you build on a foundation. You're building on something solid and you're strengthened. Those all overlap, those images. What he's getting at is be grounded in Jesus, Um, Now, last spring, I tried to read this book. I don't know if you've come across this book, The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter, I can never say his last name, Waleban, I don't know. Anyway, I had a number of people in my life, some I know personally, some I follow a little bit here and there and listen to what they say, who said this was this amazing book, so I put it on hold at the library and waited like six months and got it from the library and started reading it. And I, you know, I think Peter Waleban is just a smarter guy than me. It was hard. It was like, oh, what am I reading? It was, it was interesting, kind of. It was really, it was a bit beyond me. Um, but he's just talking about, I listed how trees are and what sort of happens in sort of the secret places and trees have a language and they communicate with each other and stuff. It was like, it was, it was mind-blowing in some ways, for sure. I lost the plot a bit. I may not have even finished the book, but... Uh, Here's what I got out of it, okay? Two things. One is super obvious as it relates to this image where Paul is saying be rooted and one is less obvious and I do want to thank him for pointing this out to me. Um, The obvious one is root systems are vital to the life of a tree. I, I didn't need to read a book about trees to figure that out. You know that as well. You don't need to read about trees, okay? Trees have roots. They have a whole complicated, deep root system. That's how they can grow to be, like some of those Douglas firs are like hundreds of feet tall. And they've got this whole root system to keep them from tumbling and falling. All right? And it's vital to the life and the health of a tree. In the same way, then, as Paul uses this image, he's saying that matters in your life with Jesus. He's writing to the Colossian church. This echoes out to the church here in Calgary today your roots going into Jesus actually are vital. That you actually have a root system and that you, you, you give some attention to how well you're grounded in the person of Jesus and in the truth of Jesus. That's the piece that was obvious to me. What uh, Laban pointed out in the book that I didn't know about trees is how interconnected their root systems are. And if you cut down one type of species of tree, it actually affects the life of a completely different species of tree in the same forest. Because the root systems are interconnected and what you do to this tree affects that one. And what this image, I think, also pokes at, um, and even more so, and I forget this all the time, but don't forget this, uh, is Paul is writing to a church, not to an individual all right? This is an instruction to a community. Be rooted. And we need to allow our roots to be interconnected. 
And this church is very, very good at that in many ways. But we need to continue to think about how we're interconnected with one another. We need the body. Paul will talk about this in all kinds of other places in the New Testament. We need each other. So it's not just that your roots as an individual tree grow deep into Jesus. It's important that your roots are actually connected to someone else's roots in the church. And that you actually, you know, feed off each other, encourage each other, support each other. And I wouldn't have picked that up in this image, but it's there. He's writing to a church community saying, hey, y'all, be rooted. You, plural, be rooted in Jesus. Now, the psalmists, in fact, actually, I, I, I have some vague recollection. I'm pointing at Keith sitting there. I have some vague recollection of Keith doing a summer series on trees in the Bible. Um, maybe? You're nodding? Yeah, okay. So we, it is interesting to read about trees in Scripture, and you can follow that thread at some point if, if, if that's of interest to you. I want to pick up the rooted part of the analogy, uh, and, which is what Paul's on about, and perhaps, I mean, Paul was well-versed in the Hebrew Scriptures. Every reason to think he's thinking about Psalms like Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, t- or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed is those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever it does prospers. And healthy trees, again, are rooted trees. They're planted, in this case, the image is by water, where their root system can get the nourishment it needs. As you continue through the Psalms, um, this one came to mind as well, and possibly in Paul's mind. Psalm 92. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will still stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright, he is my rock, there is no wickedness in him. And I'm seeing that perhaps. Perhaps that kind of came to my mind this week as I'm seeing that in my dad's life. As he's into his old age and his health is... He's struggling with it for sure and perhaps failing in it. Um, but his, his roots are still in Jesus and he speaks of that. We pray together. Right? He hasn't, like that, those, that root system's still there. Um, and I think that's all of what's imagined in this image, okay? I'm picking up on the rooted part, but the built up part, the strengthened part, they're overlapping images. Be grounded. And we probably want to give some thought. I'm asking it here to you as an open-ended question. Okay, I'm not trying to imagine guilt or heap on guilt to you, but remember, this is an imperative. This is a response to a reality. If this is who Jesus is, how will you be rooted in that Jesus? What are you doing to ensure that you have roots? Uh, Obvious things come to mind like biblical literacy that we actually read and learn to understand Scripture. And that's a lifetime thing. I'm not saying you need to figure it out this week. But um, 
I've just been reading through Hosea. I don't read Hosea that often, but man, it's heartbreaking to see God's love for his people and how deeply hurt he is by their unfaithfulness. And I'm just sort of finding myself in this text again. I'm just like, wow. Like it says so much about who God is and how God longs to operate in our world. And are we rooted in these places? Are we reading scripture? Are we learning to read it? Are we, are we, are we taking our questions about the Bible somewhere and, and learning to read better? All of that, biblical literacy, prayer, worship, that we come here and we sing songs, or if in my case this morning, I just listen to you all sing songs about Jesus and the importance of just a community reminding me of deep truths and watering my roots. Uh, perhaps practices like Sabbath keeping and carving out a rhythm each week of a, a time where you just pay attention to who God is and what God is doing. And we let our concerns sort of fade in the distance for a, every week as a weekly rhythm. These are the kind of practices that nurture the roots and allow us to, like, those roots to grow deep into who Jesus is, what Jesus is about. Or if you pick up the image for, or the, the words from Psalm 1 to meditate on Scripture. I mean, I'm not going to unpack this phrase, but really, I've read it. I mean, Jesus disarms the powers and authorities and makes a public spectacle of them, triumphing over, triumphing over them by the cross. I mean, just, that's an amazing statement. And probably warrants sitting with for a while. What does that mean? That Jesus has disarmed all the powers and authorities of our age. He's triumphed over them. And the way that he triumphs over them is dying on a cross. Like, what? Like, that's going to take a little bit of time to unpack. Meditate on a text like that. Just sit with it for a week. Um, these are the ways that our roots grow deep into Jesus. And then what I've alluded to, and Paul, I think, is alluding to, is make sure you're connected to community. Make sure that your root system is intertwined with somebody else's root system. Um, and you are all here, so I'm, I'm not telling you something uh, that you, you don't already think. But we all know Christians who are, getting, are cutting themselves off, walking away from church. And I just I have some concerns about that, if I'm honest. Um, I just think that individual root system is going to be hard to maintain as an individual root system. We need each other. I need you. Uh, you might even need me. So this is kind of what we're imagining, okay? What Paul's imagining in that part, okay? That's his instruction. I focused on one part of it. Continue to live your lives in him. Be rooted, built up, and strengthened. That part is what I'm focusing on. Overflowing with thankfulness as well. Uh, we could speak, I could speak about that as well. I'm going to move into the warning part instead, though. Uh, verse 8 of this text, chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. What Paul is doing, and just like he is a switch now, he's laid out a framework. He said, this is, he's been doing it all along in the book of Colossians. This is who Jesus is. This is the way of the world, or what we've been saying, the way of the empire. 
and he's laying them in sharp contrast. And he's saying, don't be taken captive by how the empire operates, by the philosophies and, and the ways of thinking, the ideologies of the empire. You don't belong to the empire, you belong to Jesus. And live out of, out of that, right? He's just, it's the contrast. Be rooted here, don't be, be de- deceived here, is the contrast he's making. It is a bit of a complicated verse. Um, if you have a Bible and you're looking at that verse, you'll see a phrase, depending on which translation you're looking at. In the NAV here, it reads, elemental spiritual forces. And you're like, what is that? Um, and there's a little footnote, probably in your Bible, that'll point you. Footnotes in Bibles almost always say that the Greek language could be translated several different ways. Um, and translators have, have, have decisions to make on how that appears in English. Okay, and this is one of those phrases. It could mean, it could point to spiritual forces in the world or human forces in the world that have some kind of spirit behind them. It, it's a little difficult to determine and depending on which English translation you read, it, the emphasis lands a little differently. Either way, whether you think and, and, and land with this is that you know, there are spiritual forces in the world at work, and that is true, but whether Paul's saying that here or not, if you think that, or if it's just you know, basic human philosophies at work, either way, Paul is highlighting that this is something in opposition to Jesus. Right? He says, don't be deceived by these things that, that locate their their meaning in human tradition and these elemental spiritual forces rather than Jesus. Okay, now this is where, <laughs> this is where if you do any reading, you've got to be sort of Bible nerd here, but if you do any like commentary reading on the book of Colossians, you'll very quickly bump into something called the Colossian heresy. And there is uh, commentators, uh, they write a lot about this. And they try and like, what Paul is warning about is some kind of teaching that's happening in this city. And what they do is they tra- take Paul's argument and they work it backwards. Well, Paul said this, therefore the Colossian heresy should be that. Paul said this, therefore the Colossian heresy is this. And they kind of work the whole thing backwards. Really, this is a fairly lively and uh, complicated debate in the commentaries. Um, and people land in very different places on it. Um, based on what Paul says in the expanded warning of this text, if you go into the last part of chapter 2, the heresy has something to do with the worship of angels, something to do with den- denial of the body. The body's not good or maybe not necessary. Um, And it leads people to think it's an early form of something called Gnosticism, which is all about sort of secret knowledge and material stuff is is not that important because it's the spiritual that matters. Anyway, it's it gets a little complicated. I think for our purposes this morning, um, a couple things I want to say. What what Paul is saying is this is whatever's going on in. Colossae, I was corrected, it's Colossae, whatever's going on in that city is seductive, it's deceptive. There's all kinds of philosophies in the world that are like, really? I don't think so. 
right? Like I just read this week, a little bit of background reading, you know, the, like the lunar landings are all staged, right? Like that the U.S. didn't really go to the moon. Nobody landed there. There's, and you could just read like just pages and pages on the internet about this stuff. And you're just like, I don't know, really? Um, okay, and I'm, hopefully I'm, you hear that as humor. Like I'm poking fun at something. Hopefully that's not where you, like if, anyway. I, it's just, like there's just stuff out there that you just think, no, I don't think so. But there are clearly philosophies out there that are deceptive, that are seductive, that do draw you in. And I'm not immune to it. Again, it gets back to why we're a community, why we need to journey together. I can be taken in, but then hopefully you come alongside me and say, hey, uh, can we chat? Right? That's part of what a community could do. But clearly Paul, in this letter, is concerned by a philosophy that existed in this region that was taking Christians in. And he's taking it head on. He's addressing it. It's hard for us to get a clear reconstruction of what that is, but he's taking it head on. And, you know, worship of angels is not, I think, a major deception of Western Canada. Like, I don't think that's the philosophy that I see hundreds of my friends getting drawn into. Um, but I'm going to take my cue, and I'm, I've wrestled with this quite a bit this week. We had a long conversation in staff meeting on whether uh, sermons are the right form and all of that. But I'm going to take my cue from Paul. He's addressing something very specific in his time. A deceptive philosophy. And taking my cue from that, how does the gospel, who Jesus is, what Paul is saying and what we're hearing about who Jesus is, how does that speak into the issues of our time? And if our time isn't about worship of angels primarily, what is it? And there's no simple answer. I'm not going to pretend. But let me take a run at one thing, okay? Um, Postmodernity. Now, post, I'm not a philosopher. I'm not trying to say everything about postmodernity. There's not even a universal agreement that we're in a postmodern time. Okay? I'm not saying everything about postmodernity, but here's a, a quote that gives a bit of a, a sense of the space we're living in as a culture. Postmodernity describes a world where people have to make their way without fixed reference. Reference and traditional anchoring points. It is a world of rapid change, bewildering instability, where knowledge, knowledge is constantly changing and meaning floats. Okay, now Usher and Edwards, two authors, they're not saying everything here. They're, it's just, I'm pulling out one little thing, okay? This is nuance. This is the limits of sermons. I can't, again, you don't want to be here for three hours, and, and, and you don't want to walk away with a reading list of like 12 books. Um, the... the but just there is a sense that we're living in a time where um, meaning is, is kind of untethered a little bit. Um, and people are like, hey, um, it, you, can, you kind of, you do you. Um, and, and, and in some places, I'm, I'm totally fine. We have debates in our house about whether the Barbie movie is good art or not. Um, and we don't all land on the same place on that. I'm not going to tell you my personal opinion. Um, but, but we talk about these things, right? And like, okay, we can land differently on something like that, for sure. Um, and, you know, meaning can float, and we don't have to have 
you know, the same reference points necessarily, uh, it gets a little bit more complicated when we're talking about um, identity and who we are. And we're increasingly moving into a time in our culture where identity is whatever you want it to be. Um, It's being untethered from any fixed points whatsoever. Um, and, and, And if you don't like things about yourself that can it's all changeable it's all malleable you can link your identity to all kinds of things and then delink it like it's just completely uncoupled from anything meaning floats okay and i am just understand that's a nuanced conversation i'm not trying to say everything there but i'm going to suggest that in the biblical story that's not how identity is talked about In the creation story, God creates humans. Out of everything he creates, God creates human beings in the image of God. Male and female, you are created in my image. And and identity is rooted somewhere, actually. All humans. That that promise or that teaching gets, gets echoed a little later on in the book of Genesis after the flood, All humans are made in God's image. All of them. And that's a fixed point in the Christian story. That all humans bear God's fingerprint. Whether you agree with them around moral issues or around how they vote or around ideology or wherever their their ethnicity lands or whatever their... Whatever. Like, as a human being, you bear the image of God. It's part of your core identity in the biblical narrative. And the biblical narrative goes a bit further yet and says that in Christ, which this, that's the people Paul's writing to, in Christ you are children of God. So you're not just, you don't just bear the image of God, you are God's child. Let me read to you from uh, John's Gospel. John's writing about Jesus here. Jesus came to which to that which was his own. He's writing about Jesus entering the world okay, as a human. Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not out of natural descent, nor human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. And later on, when Jesus gives his teaching on prayer, he teaches his disciples, us, to pray what? Our Father. And if you're referring to God as Father, by definition, you are his child. Now, I want to be as clear as I can here, so you do not hear what I am not saying. Okay? I am not in any way suggesting that we treat people badly. And that, you know, what I've just said about identity gives you an excuse to beat somebody over the head with, with words and actions. Okay, I have people in my life, truly, I have people in my life who are struggling with gender dysphoria and are considering gender realignment. And I have people in my life who have attached their identity to all kinds of things that I'm not sure I would attach my identity to the same way. 
and I love those people. Okay? And my role is to walk compassionately alongside those people, to listen to their stories. Their stories are real. Their struggles are real. I'm not in any way suggesting anything other than that, okay? These are, some of these people are deep friends of mine. But what I'm, what I'm just trying to lift out here is there is a, a way that our culture is beginning to drift where identity is just, it's, it's being delinked from things. And you have to try and figure out identity construction completely on your own. And I think that's got to be a heavy weight to carry. I get confused in the peanut butter aisle, trying to pick out, like, there's this kind of peanut butter and that. And I just, like, I'm just overwhelmed by the choices of peanut butter. And now you want to give me that same kind of choice about identity? That just feels incredibly heavy. And I want you to hear what I think the Bible is saying Identity is gifted to you. It is a gift. Heavens, no, you don't have to figure it out on your own. You are innately valuable because as a human being, you bear the fingerprint of God. As a Christian, as one who's given their lives to Jesus, you are his child. You are deeply, deeply loved. That's all I'm saying. And I think as I journey with people who don't connect to this story, how do I love them? How do I journey compassionately with them? What does that look like in their struggle? I just think the Bible has a different story. It's telling. That's all I'm trying to get at. And maybe I used a poor example. Maybe I expressed it badly. And if you have questions about what I've just said there, I'm going to stand right here after the service. Come talk to me, please. Hey, we can dialogue. We can go for coffee. Okay, this, these are nuanced conversations. And we, this is the debate we're having in staff. Like, can we talk about any of this in a sermon? And the answer is not easily. Because I, every one of you has a set of filters. And I don't know how you're filtering what you're hearing. I can't control that. Like, it's a, it's a limited form. So, nuanced conversation. We don't... But I just want to recognize that what Paul is getting at in, in writing to the Colossian church is still an issue. There are still philosophies in our world that are deceptive and captivating and sound like, oh, I think that sounds okay, but, but they may actually be not consistent with Jesus and the biblical message. Which is why Paul says... Be grounded. Be rooted. Okay, if you look at the expanded teaching, instruction, and the expanded warning, those two expanded forms are linked by the word, therefore. Verse 16. Therefore. So he he gives a short teaching, short warning, then he gives an expanded teaching on who Jesus is, And then he says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you about what you eat, drink. And and he starts going in on what the Colossians are struggling with. But the word therefore. And what he's doing is linking their struggle with their grounding. And I might say, well, you know, uh, because we live in a world that's complex and got lots of things coming at us, um, 
be grounded in Jesus. That's kind of my, the, the way I'm arguing it. Paul actually is arguing it exactly opposite <laughs> um, in the flow of his thinking. He says, be grounded in Jesus. That's his start point. Therefore, don't be taken in by other philosophies. I mean, either way, we land in the same point. And this is what I want you to walk away with this morning. Not all my stuff about uh, postmodernism, which that's, I was trying to use an example, a nuanced example. What I want you to walk away from is be grounded in Jesus. That's what Paul, that's the thrust of this argument. He's writing to a people that are, that are swimming in waters that are saying all kinds of things. We are also people swimming in waters that are saying all kinds of things. And the instruction is the same. Be grounded, built up, and strengthened in your faith. And the question again is, how will you do that? How will we as a people do that? What will it look like for you to be rooted in Jesus and strengthened in your faith? Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons. Thank you.